there's a lot happening in the 13 verses that we're focusing on today. That was a lot for Addison to read. She's a really good sport about it. I'm very grateful. She did an excellent job. Uh, if you've been following along through our series, you'll know that we're rounding the corner into the final leg of this sermon series as we're rounding the corner to the end of summer. Um, and we've talked about inward prayers, and we've sought out that inward transformation that we need through prayers like examine and, and confession. And we've practiced those upward prayers, seeking the intimacy of God, the intimacy that we need through prayers like adoration, through, through praying the scriptures, and simply being still in God's presence. Today we're moving on to our outward prayers. And this is really the ministry of prayer, seeking the ministry that we need and participating in ministry to others through prayer. And here's the idea. The transforming of our hearts, the inward prepares us to experience the intimacy of God's presence, that's the upward, and experiencing the abounding love of God will always send us outwards to share that good, amen? So we have had our inward, our upward, and now we're moving outward. And today, that, that journey into the outward prayers, we're beginning with prayers of petition, in simple terms, this is prayers where we are asking things of God. And this is the bread and butter of our prayer lives. In my very first sermon in the series, I quoted this Norwegian pietist named Ole Halsby. He wrote this wonderful little book on prayer. And in it, he, gives the, he says that he thinks the very best definition of prayer is that it is offering up our helplessness to God. This is petition. Petition is coming to God and saying, God, I can't do it on my own. Can you help me? Or God, I need you. Please come help. Petition is praying, give us today our daily bread. Because we need, we, we're asking for our physical need to be met. <clears throat> also, forgive us of our sins is a petition. We talked about confession as an inward prayer, and it is, but it also involves petition. We receive the ministry that we need, when we receive the grace and forgiveness of our Lord. So right out of the gates here, I just want to name a temptation that comes when we start talking about prayers of petition after all of these weeks that we've spent talking about other types of prayer like adoration and contemplative prayer and confession and Lectio Divina and, 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 right? There is a temptation to begin to think about prayers of petition as less than. Like, asking God for things is good, but it's like this less mature, less spiritual kind of way to pray. Like maybe we actually kind of graduate out of that eventually in our faith onto things that are more mature, and then we just sit in God's presence. This is a lie. Prayers of petition are and will always be a part of our prayer. Not only that, they are, I said it, the bread and butter of our prayer, because we will always need God. Jesus prayed prayers of, of petition and intercession. And if Jesus was doing it, we can expect that we will never mature out of it. <laughs> I'm the type of person I can really easily fall into this trap. So you might notice that I often begin my prayers with the acknowledgement, Jesus, I need you. Or Jesus, we need you if we're praying corporately. Because it's important for me to remember that no matter how much growing I've experienced in my faith, I will never mature out of needing my Lord every day. And I will never outgrow the need to come to him and ask. So how do we pray prayers of petition? How do we ask well? 
And to be honest, I, I think this one's pretty simple. We ask. There's, there's really not that much else to it. I mean, I could advise you to ask with specificity and to spend some time listening and perhaps seeking guidance on you know, what to ask in moments when it feels strange or confusing. But at the end of the day, petition is just that. Ask God for what you need. Well, in the beginning of today's passage, Jesus' disciples came to him and they asked him for something. They asked for advice on how to pray. Jesus had just been praying, and they must have noticed something different in the way that he was praying compared to the way that they usually prayed. Right? If they had, these disciples, they had grown up, you know, Jewish boys, Jewish men, and they had, they would, like, prayer was a regular part of their day. Many, many prayers a day. They've been praying since they were so little. So it seems almost strange that they go, well, teach me how to pray. And you'd think at this point they would know. But they must have noticed that there was something different in the way that Jesus prayed compared to how they would usually pray. And, and maybe you've met someone before and, and you've heard them pray and it's like, I had a professor in seminary and it was like he was talking to his best friend when he prayed. And I can remember just being like, well, now I really want to learn how to pray. Well, this is where the disciples were at. And Jesus graciously replies with the Lord's Prayer. And Luke's version is maybe a little bit different than you remember, but the bones are the same. And then he tells this parable. And I don't know about you, but I have always found the parable of the persistent friend or of the persistent neighbor to be really strange. Anybody else? I mean... It seems like the moral of the story is that if you're annoying enough, that you'll get what you want, <laughs> right? And, and my intuition is that that can't be what Jesus is trying to teach his followers about prayer. There's another parable like it, actually. It's called the parable of the persistent widow. That's in Luke 18. And in that one, there's a widow, and she's seeking justice from a judge. And she essentially doesn't stop asking until finally, one day, the judge caves and just gives her what she's asking for. And this is what the judge offers as his justification um, for why he's giving her what she's asking for. This is a quote. instead of Luke 18. It says, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. <laughs> and this is how you should pray. Maybe not. <laughs> but I don't think... I don't know about you, but for a lot of my life, I really took the meaning of these parables to essentially be, it is possible for you to annoy God into doing what you want. Though I probably wouldn't have, you know, been quite as bold to say it in such clear terms, but at the very least, there was this implicit message that I received that somehow, that sorry, that the reason that we pray is somehow to, to bend God to our will to convince him to give us something, that, that we come to God and we demand things. And in addition to this, I seem to hear the Bible telling me that if you don't pray hard enough, you won't get what you want. Or the other side, if you aren't getting what you want from God, it's because you aren't praying hard enough, which was a really heavy burden to carry. And I, I don't think that it is our burden to carry. But in that way of thinking, the buck stops with us. And I went and I looked in the Bible, and you know, I felt like I saw some examples of this. Like after the incident with the golden calf, Moses goes toe-to-toe -to -toe with God, talking him down from destroying all of the Israelites. And you know, in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham takes it upon himself to save the city, and he negotiates with God. 
you know, and he's like, well, God, would you, would you protect the city? Would you save them if there were just 50? And God's like, well, okay, yeah. What about 40? Would you, for 40, 30, 20, 10, like, you know, Abraham, this good bargainer, he bargains God down to 10 people, right? Or there's the Canaanite woman who comes to Jesus asking for her daughter to be healed, and Jesus rejects her with harsh words before finally relenting and offering to heal the girl after she's asked like three times. And then there's Jacob. He actually wrestles with God, and he cries out, I won't let go until you bless me. And God blesses him. And it seemed to me like these people essentially annoyed God into giving them what they want. Did anyone else think this way? Spoiler alert, I don't believe that that is what either of these parables about the persistent people is about. And actually, I think that's really good news. See, these parables are of a different kind of, of like a different paradigm than perhaps you're used to when we think about parables. In a lot of parables, one of the characters actually represents God, right? Jesus often begins those ones by saying, this is what the kingdom of God is like. And then he'll, you know, give some example. But rather than being a picture of the kingdom of God, there's no preface like that, this parable uses comparison. The next part of the passage actually gives us a bit of a key to interpreting it. So Jesus says, which of you fathers, if your son asks you for a fish, would give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, would give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And in Matthew's has the same parable in it, but it goes a step further. It says, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts? Not just the Spirit is a good gift. That's a good gift. But not just the Spirit, just good gifts to those who ask. This way of thinking, so like, this is how fathers are. God is so much better. Think about that. That's how we are invited to interpret the parables of the persistent people. God isn't like the neighbor who doesn't want to give us bread, but reluctantly hands it over after being bothered. He's also not like the father who gives good gifts to their children. The point of the parable is that God is so, 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 so much better than either of these people, than either of us could ever be. Jesus is making the point that even a reluctant neighbor will be generous when pushed in shame. So how much more can we expect that God, who in his very nature is generous, will be generous and give us good gifts? We don't need to manipulate God into giving us something good. He desires our good. He is a good father who knows how to give very good gifts. It is a part of who he is. And I mean, let me just remind you of what Jesus said in verse 9 and 10. Right after the parable and before the story of the fathers who give good gifts, he says, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. It just seems so simple, right? God is a good father. Just ask and he'll give it to you. And this is not the only place in Scripture that we see this kind of thing. Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have it, 
I believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Matthew 22, 21, 22, and whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. John 15, 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done to you. And John 14, 13 to 14, whatever you do, ask in my name. This, uh, uh, this, uh, asking whatever you do, ask whatever you ask in my name. Um, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Matthew eighteen nineteen. Again, truly I tell you, that if the two that if two of you on earth agree about anything, they ask for it, it will be done for them by their Father and by my Father in heaven. And it seems almost staggering when I read it all together like that. Whatever you ask, whatever you wish, anything you ask, you will receive. And this isn't even all of the examples. There are more of these. And if I'm being honest, I'm not always sure what to do with them. When I also consider the weight of unanswered prayers that I have experienced or witnessed in the stories of others. What do we do with the fact that sometimes we ask, we ask for good things, and it seems like there is no answer to be found? How do we reconcile that experience with these scriptures. There is very little, I think, that I can come to and say with certainty as to why some of our prayers go unanswered. I have heard lots of answers given, and to be honest, in the midst of my own dark moments, even if they made sense intellectually, they don't really seem to help. We're going to talk about some of these ideas today. I do think there's value in intellectually parsing through it. But before we go there, there is something that I've taken from these words on prayer that has been important to me in recent years. And while I can't guarantee the outcome of your asking, I can't give you a formula or a way to make it all work, I truly believe that it is vitally important that we come to God with our requests. And I really believe that our prayers actually make a difference. John Wesley went so far as to say that God does nothing except in response to believing prayer. Even if all we bring to him is our helplessness, he still desires that we bring it and he responds it. And there have been times when I've felt frustrated and confused and have just thought, God already knows what I need why doesn't he just give it to me? Why does he seem so badly to want me to ask? I've got two thoughts <laughs> on why that might be the case. And I'm sure that there's more, but this is what I've clung to. First, it seems like God truly delights in our asking. He wants us to come to him. It's simple, but it does really seem to be true. He delights in our asking, so we should ask. I'm not a parent yet. But I know that other parents have shared with me that this makes a lot of sense to them. That there are many things that they really want to give to their kids. And they are delighted when their child comes and asks for it. And God is this way. A loving parent who delights in our asking. So we should ask. Second, when it comes to God, or sorry, when we come to God with our petitions, it reminds us of our dependence upon him. And it sets us up to take note of his faithfulness. 
So I'll give you an example. We have been praying for more youth to come uh, and join our church youth group. Uh, that's something on Tuesday nights, if you come to a Tuesday night prayer, you will probably pray for our youth. Um, a little while ago, we had new people start coming out regularly. And we praised God for his faithful provision. And I think that if we hadn't been praying, I'm not so sure that we would have been so quick to notice that this was God at work. We could have just said, oh, isn't that nice? We've got new people, right? Or we could have said, well, we're running a really, you know, Melinda's running an amazing program with these youth, which she is. So it makes sense that, that more people want to come out. We could have taken the credit or put the credit somewhere else, but because we were faithfully praying and asking God, when we saw him act and move, we knew this is God. And we turned our eyes to the sky and we praised him for his goodness. It wasn't our strength or our goodness but his goodness and graciousness in this answered prayer. And prayer, praying for that regularly, set us in the right headspace so that we recognized that God was working and moving. I think the truth is God is working and moving in our lives often. Like in our days, in our weeks, he is here, he is present. He is like, he's Emmanuel, he's God with us, he is near to us. And I think probably more often than not, we miss it. We don't realize, oh, that was God at work. This was something God has done. This beautiful thing that happened, it wasn't just happenstance. It was my Lord and Savior coming and being my help. I think praying and bringing our requests, bringing our needs to God, prepares us to receive his good gifts. So it's important that we ask. And we're going to practice some asking a little bit later. But before that, I do want to talk about the fact that often people ask, and it seems to come to nothing. I can't speak for you, but my impulse in these situations when this happens to me is always to blame myself. I have frequently heard people quote James 4.3, which says, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. And I think sometimes this is true, right? Um, if I ask, God, give me patience quick, <laughs> like probably putting the cart before the horse, right? <laughs> or if I ask God to, to let me win the lottery so that I can quit being a pastor and never work a day again in my life and do all kinds of not nice things, that's probably the wrong motives, right? I don't think any of us would be surprised if that prayer was not answered, <laughs> Or if I was asking for something that would bring harm to someone else. That's just not in keeping with who God is, right? It's worth noting that that type of asking is what James 4.3 is speaking about. Leading up to this verse, James makes reference to people who are coveting the things of others so much that they are willing to commit murder to get it for themselves. And then he says, and then you ask for these things, and of course you don't get it because you're asking with the wrong heart. I can see that. I don't think that this verse is about a loving parent who is concerned with putting food on the table for their family. It's about someone who, who is seeing hardship in the life of someone that they dearly love and is praying for them. It's about someone who is, is just at the end of their rope and crying out to God for help. I don't think that that's what James 4.3 is talking about. 
But there are some times that that verse applies, so it's worth discussing. Another thing that people seem to commonly come to is that God doesn't answer the prayers of his people because they have sin that they need to repent of. Let me start by saying that if God does not answer sinners' prayers, then we are all in a lot of trouble. God's gracious response to us is not about us being good enough. If it was, then it wouldn't be grace. This is where I'd love to turn our eyes back to the beginning of today's passage and look at the order of the Lord's Prayer. First, Jesus offers worship to God and praise God's will. And then, he brings a few petitions. Give us our daily bread, forgive us our sins, deliver, uh, don't lead us into temptation, deliver us from evil. And this is staggering to me. Because Jesus' first petition is for provision of daily bread, and then he asks for forgiveness of sins. And my gut says it should be the other way around, right? Like, I should get myself good with God, and then I can ask him to provide for me. But it's here, clear as day. God's provision to us is not dependent upon our repentance. God's provision actually comes first, before repentance. And intuitively, we know this, Right? Verses like, we love him, why? Because he first loved us. Right? God is the initial actor in these matters. But confession and repentance are also gifts. We've talked about this in a whole Sunday where we talked about how confession is a gift and how it actually naturally leads us to, to joy, how it opens our hearts to receive love in new ways. So sometimes perhaps sin does stand in the way. It stands in the way of us hearing God's voice and receiving an answer to prayer. If we have been ignoring God, we might struggle to hear God. But his grace is not dependent upon our goodness. We don't build a tower up to him. That's what they tried to do in Babel, right? He didn't like that very much. He comes down and meets us where we are. We simply open the door. Another thing. Sometimes, I think we ask too little, or we don't know what is best that we could ask for. So to come back to the, you know, talking about those stories where I thought it looked like people were, you know, getting the better side of God, right? Annoying him into giving what he asked. To come back to the story of Jacob, who seems to have wrestled, grappled a blessing out of a begrudging God, I'm not so sure that's the lesson. I think God already planned to bless Jacob. I think that God had already planned that Jacob would become Israel. But in that moment, Jacob found himself more afraid of his brother Esau, right? That's what he's doing. He's avoiding going to meet his brother Esau, walking. He's sent everybody else ahead of him with gifts, and he's afraid. I think he's more afraid of his brother Esau than he was concerned with his God. And God gave Jacob a blessing through that time of wrestling. He gave Jacob the blessing he demanded, but he also gave him the humility that he needed so that that blessing would not destroy him. A gift that he didn't even know that he needed. And this was actually a gift remembered by all the people of Israel for generations to come when they would refuse to eat that particular part of the hip which God had injured in Jacob. 
from any animal as a reminder of their own humility before God. Like This was a good, good gift that God gave through that wrestling. Jacob didn't know that. He just wanted his blessing, right? God saw the bigger picture. I don't think that, that God was begrudgingly, he was begrudging at all about giving that gift to Jacob. I just think that Jacob needed some help to be able to carry it. And perhaps it's this way with us as well sometimes. Perhaps when we pray and ask God to take something away and he doesn't, it's because there is a greater gift in that than I realize. And it, it feels a little trite sometimes, but in the face of hardship or loss in particular, right? But I do know that right now I see as through a mirror dimly. I don't have a full picture. But I have faith that someday we will see with greater clarity. And in the midst of that, many of these things will make more sense to me. And I think that this is why Jesus follows up these words to anyone who asks, seeks, and finds with a reminder of how good God is. Because there are times when it is really easy to lose sight of that. But that seems to be the part where faith enters in. Where, where we bring a bit of trust that God's ways are better than our own, even when we can't see or understand it. When we believe into the gap in our knowing, this doesn't make sense to me, I don't understand it, but God, I trust that you're good. There are other pieces of the puzzle here, I'm sure you know, God not infringing upon our free will or the free will of others. The fact that we still live in a world that is tainted by sin. But I do really want to mention one more strange story from the Bible. And if I'm being honest, I'm not entirely sure what to make of it. But I think it gives us a small window. A small window into the, the spiritual side of these things. And an invitation to acknowledge that there is some mystery. And there are some things that we just don't understand that are going on in our prayer. So in Daniel chapter 10, Daniel had this vision about a big war that was coming, and he was deeply troubled, and he didn't understand it, and so he began to seek understanding. And he, was, he was mourning, and he was doing this, this fast for weeks, as a partial fast, for, for weeks while he was seeking God's voice in the matter. And for weeks, for three weeks, he heard nothing. And after those weeks, of feeling helpless and overwhelmed, finally, an angel comes to him to bring understanding. <clears throat> and this is what the angel says. This is Daniel chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. The angel says, Do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before God, your words were heard 21 days ago. And I have come in response to them. But... The prince of the Persian kingdom rested on, uh, resisted me for 21 days. And then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained with the king of Persia. And then the angel goes on to share the meaning of the vision and encourage Daniel. And at the end of it all, the angel says that he needs to go back to this fight against this spiritual prince in the kingdom of Persia, and then they're going to move the battle to Greece. Again, I don't really know what to make <laughs> when I read this. There's not a lot of places in the Bible that we find stories like this. It might 
you know, as Amos was preaching through Revelation, some of these things, these images might sound a little bit familiar to you. But Daniel began to pray. He was heard immediately, but the answer to his prayer was delayed for 21 days because of the spiritual battles that were going on. I think it's important for us to keep in mind that we live in the already here but not yet fully here kingdom of God. That the story is not over yet, that the, that, that triumphant battle and where, where the, the lamb comes and, and, and is, you know, sits on the throne, like all of those things out of Revelation, they haven't happened yet, right? That there are still spiritual forces at play, things beyond what we see and understand. And when it comes to these matters, what we have, the only thing we have, is prayer. Prayer in the name of Jesus. That is all that we have. So again, I'm not entirely sure what to make of this story, but this part of Daniel is reminiscent of Revelation, but we don't, we don't see a lot of this in the Bible, but I, I, just, I, I think it's worth mentioning that there are spiritual factors that are beyond our control and beyond our understanding that are at work when we come to God in prayer. Okay. I'm sure there are other reasons or ways to think through these, but... I feel like I've done a bit of an information dump, so let me come back together with our major points, right? We are invited by God to bring our needs to him. He actually delights in our bringing our needs and petitions to him in prayer. Not only does he delight in it, we can have confidence that he hears us and we can believe that God desires the good of his people because he is a good and generous God. That being said, sometimes it's hard to see when our personal experiences leave us feeling unheard by God. People offer lots of theories as to why prayers go unanswered. I don't know that any of them is particularly satisfying. We talked about a bunch of them. None of them is a perfect answer, but sometimes we're just left with a big question. We're left with a mystery. I know that I've experienced that in my own life. But when I look beyond my own story, and more broadly to the story of God's church, I can see in the stories of others and in my own story, his faithfulness. And I can trust that he is a good father who desires to give good gifts to his children, even if I can't always see the threads of goodness from my position at the bottom of the pit. So here's the crux again. Prayer is always better experienced. Always better in the doing than in the talking about. So this is my challenge today. Would you be willing to bring a need to God in prayer? Would you be willing to, to put together an offering of your helplessness and trust that God is good and loves you and can actually intervene in some meaningful way? Can we today bring some bold prayers of petition to God, trusting that he cares to hear our challenges, and that if you ask for bread, you're not going to get a snake. That you don't need to manipulate him into it, but that he desires to pour out his love on you. It may not be exactly what you expect, but we can trust that he is good and he wants to give good gifts to his children. So this is the real challenge. I think that prayers of petition are always best when we can be specific. And if you felt the weight of unanswered prayers, it might actually be a little scary 
to take that thing that you've been you know, wrestling with and hoping for and dreaming after and to say, okay, God, will you come and help me here? I need you. Um, but I think it's worthwhile for us to do. I think that actually God will delight if you are willing to offer up that, that thing that is sitting in your heart that you need, where you need his help. And my other encouragement to you be to whatever it is that you pray for today as we take a moment to, to offer our petitions to God, whatever it is that you pray for, um, write it down or tell somebody so you can follow up on it like a week <laughs> and see how that's going for you. So we can, we can do this work of priming our hearts to notice the ways that God is answering our prayers and so that we can share those stories with each other and be encouraged by stories of how good God is, even if things aren't going as we hope for ourselves. Amen? Okay. I'm going to invite you to pray, and then the band is going to come up, and we're going to respond with a couple of songs of worship to our Lord. So. Jesus, we need you. So please come and be our help. As we offer up our petitions, whatever they might be, help us. Be with us. Speak to us. Show us the way. Lord, we ask, we seek, and we knock. So please help us receive, find, and open the door. In your name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Blue Mountain Community Church Podcast. May God's word fill you up this week. God bless.